This is a Radical Rand Podcast. This is the Radical Ramp Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here as we record on the 12th of January of 2020. I almost said June for some reason. I'm not sure why. I mean, I wish it was June, but uh, we're not quite there yet. So Adam AKAZ is Radical here with you guys. Uh, We only have one person with us this week. Uh, Liam is here with us. Joe, unfortunately, could not make it. But it's a Canadian show today. So how you doing there, Liam? All the CanCon, Adam. All the CanCon. And yes, our boy Joe is pursuing his his, uh, upstart career in uh, stand-up comedy. I guess he's already too good for podcasting, you know? A young Jerry Seinfeld in the making, I'm sure. <laughs> well, otherwise, I mean, how's it doing up there in Ottawa? I know uh, we were supposed to be worrying about potentially a shit ton of rain freezing over, and nothing happened here because, you know, weathermen are never, ever wrong. Especially once we go to 5G and it begins screwing up forecasts, apparently. Yeah, no kidding. Every time they say that it's going to be the biggest storm we've ever seen, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it just rained. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm sure you lived through, uh, I was still on the East Coast at this point, but I'm sure you have some memory of the, the ice storm of 1998. Uh, I couldn't tell you about one before the year 2000, because my memory is pretty shoddy there. There was one five or six years ago, I want to say, where I woke up and had no idea that it had rained and then everything had frozen over. So like there was a tree up against my window, even nothing had broken, but there was a tree just staring at me in the face when I opened up my blinds. I'm like, oh, that's different. <laughs> that wasn't there this morning or last night yeah you, you, like well, I've only been up for about 15 seconds so my brain's just like ah. you, you didn't put two and two together at that point yeah so this is going to be something like for our Ontario listeners this is going to make a lot of sense but this is going to be insider baseball to everybody else I, I, I'm very grateful Adam that you're not the victim of some nuclear fallout after a, uh, an Amber Alert we received this morning oh yeah friggin power plant about i want to say what an hour and change from where i am had a well they're calling it an error message they're saying it was an error but they there wasn't a warning given to people that uh potentially there could have been a meltdown coming yeah that's right so adam could have woken up the victim of nuclear fallout this morning but it turns out it was just a big mistake yeah thankfully i'm not uh hunting off super mutants and you know dealing with some more todd howard bullshit so right although that would that would certainly take the podcast in a new and interesting direction well, yeah, in, in the direction of we don't have a podcast anymore, but but that is what it is. We'd be like Tom Hanks in the Castaway, recording into seashells and talking to volleyballs. I mean, I have a soccer ball, so I, I guess I can kind of get close. But you know, I don't. I, I don't even know what. I guess I'm talking to Adidas. Is, is my soccer ball? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you know, the, the name would become comforting soon enough, I'm sure. Either way, um. Yeah, let's, let's 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 get rid of the asides here and let's just move move into actual wrestling talk. You know, that's what the show is, right? Sometimes, I guess. We aspire. We aspire. So, not really much to talk about in terms of dark this week, even though it was, they came back. They cut one match out. I don't even remember. I think it was Austin Gunn and Billy Gunn against a tag team that I just came for the life of me remember who it was. It was Sean Spears and someone whose name I didn't recognize. Oh, that's right. It was just the, some some random name I guess they pulled off as well. Who's not on the full roster? That's right. Well, apparently it was uh, it was so good that they got him signed, but not so good that they put it on dark this week for some, whatever reason. So that they uh, couldn't showcase him. I guess not. Yeah, either there were only two matches at dark. That's why I was so confused when the show just ended because I didn't pay attention that it was only twenty six minutes. I just turned it on and watched, and then it just stopped after the uh, the SU TH two Kip Sabian uh, six man. I'm like, shouldn't there be one more match? <laughs> and yes, well, and that was the thing when you saw it was thirty minutes. You knew the Kong match was going to be a squash, which it was. No, uh, no change there. And then, uh, yeah, a decent six-man match, I thought. Well, you'd figure that, you know, okay, we must be getting like a, a squash match and then a couple of 10-minuters, and then you see SCU come out and it's TH2 and Kip Sabian. I'm like, well, that seems like what they usually make as a main event for Dark. I mean, but maybe maybe I'm forgetting something. Maybe I missed something and it's over. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I, I guess that's it. <laughs> So I haven't read anything about this. So I'm wondering if uh, uh, Bill, the, pro, the, the prodigal son of Billy Gunn is uh, ready for television yet, or if it was a stiff match, or if there was just technical problems. It's 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 interesting. But I mean, as you said, uh, they've signed him, so we are going to see him at some point. 
I mean, regardless of what actually happened, I mean, it's it's a free show. It's not like it's the end of the world if we don't see that match. We've already seen Billy in the ring at least once. And obviously we're going to see oh, another no, sure. much older legend uh, next week at the Bash of the Beach show. So um, oh, yes, more on that later. That but I guess, but realistically, like the only match that was to speak of anything was that six man. And it was it was fine at best. It's, it's a free show as you get on YouTube. So you're not really expecting the greatest thing I've ever seen. It was just worth your attention. Yeah, and it was a good match. I love. I mean, I love SCU. They're always, you know, they always bring their A game, and it was, you know, I and I, I love the S, the SCU later as a finishing move is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a spinning go to sleep. Yeah, exactly. That, Very that's the kind of movie you're watching. You're thinking, man, you could fuck that up so easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You could knock. Uh, yeah, exactly. The the fine line between a clean looking finish and dislocating a guy's jaw is like two inches. Well, you know, it is always a game of inches with a lot of these moves, so you, you take it as it comes. But um, what did you think of the, this week's Dynamite? Because this seemed to be a very polarizing show for a lot of people, from what I read. So, yeah, so I think off the top, I, like it was not as good as last week's. It was still very good. The ending segment was incredible. Uh, everything, almost as if they were mocking me, everything I said good about the women's division last week got sorely put to the test in the middle of this show. Uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and it's still a slow build towards the pay-per-view, obviously, because the pay-per-view is still six weeks away, and they've got the Bash of the Beach coming up, and they've got the Jericho Cruise coming up. So slower pace this week, but overall still good matches uh, and still good content with a couple of sore spots that I'm sure we'll dive into more detail on in a moment. Yeah, I mean, all in all, by the time I finish the show, I still left happy. It's just one of those things, again, where... I think a lot of people, I don't know what the opinion is when it comes to these people on Reddit, but a lot of the people that I'll read, whether it's Reddit, whether it's Twitter or whatever else, they seem to think that a lot of people are defending AEW at every single point in turn. And I'm thinking like, I've watched people shit on like the most insignificant things on this show as well. It's like, what are everybody talking about? Obviously you give a show like this a little bit more rub because it's new. WWE's had 30 plus years of television to not fuck up as badly as they do. And they continue to fuck up as badly as they do. AEW is still what four months in so I think they're allowed to have like a story that for whatever reason just doesn't work yeah well and that's the thing you're trying to do so many things at once and just before we came on here I was watching uh Kenny McIntosh interview Mick Foley and Mick said like you know like I got to make so many mistakes in 1989 and if you look at my promos in 1991 I'm better and whatnot and like with the exception of eight or nine people in this company like People are making mistakes in real time every week. But yeah, like it's not like you and I and Joe sit here and give them a free pass. We're roasting people when things go wrong. Like, you know, we're not not going to make fun of it, but we just we just understand it as growing pains. Well, and obviously with this women's division, it's well that's been a big part of where most of our ire has come from because it's still in this very, I guess you can call it infancy, where they're still trying to find its footing. Yeah, they're still trying to find its first real true star. They're still trying to find how to book it properly. And as we've said, there's multiple experiments going on with it at once, certainly with the Nightmare Collective, which we'll get into. But, you know, the, the key thing is until they brought Statlander in or until Sheeta had a strong end, they don't really know. They, you know, they didn't know where they had an idea of who they thought they wanted to be the head of this division, but they haven't found who that is yet. Yeah, there's definitely nobody that's kind of like been the, you know, no one's turned into what Becky Lynch did when she got, you know, popped in the nose and and, be, and basically became badass Becky Lynch. And I don't know if this is something that we may even see in the next six months. This may take a year. This may even take two years for all we know. Because the issue that a lot of people seem to forget is that most of the talent that are of the best quality in any division are in WWE. I mean, obviously with the men, there's a lot more to go around. But in the women's cases, like, there's basically one place you go to right now and that was WWE I mean granted there's stardom and and other promotions of that ilk but realistically if you're looking for the top tier of women you're looking at WWE because they're always sucking those people in before anybody else gets a crack at it and I have to imagine that like Vince and Paul Levesque feel very good for like the unintended consequence of what NXT is I mean like uh, Triple H obviously knows what it is because it's his baby and he's built it and now it's as competitive as either of the brands but the one thing that they couldn't have anticipated was it was worth building up as big as they did before last year because they have a uh, they don't have a monopoly on talent 
but they have a stranglehold on talent. Pretty much anybody you would want, they already have under contract. And as we've seen since AEW came up, they've let go very few people, and there's almost very few free agents out there. I mean, I think we've talked about a couple on the show before. Marty Skrull, Osprey, um, you know, I like J.B. Hayter, a couple of other people in Japan. But, but yeah, in terms of the women, it's it's such slim pickings. Yeah, like, no, like, they have, WWE has everybody you would want. Uh, they've got Shayna Baszler, they've got Ruby Riot. they've got, you know, any up-and-coming fledgling female talent is, is more or less under, under brand at full sale at this point. Because, I mean, basically, you're looking at, like, names outside of WWE. I mean, it's really whatever is going on in in Japan for the most part. And you're not just going to flood this division full of Japanese women because then people will just think, well, you're not caring about anybody else. Sure. And also, it doesn't Which help is not to Kenny say they're not talented, but it, no, paints, but, but it paints it a certain way, for but sure. But, pe- yeah, if people see that it's a Joshi division and Kenny's the one that's behind it, they're going to think, oh, he's just, you know, doing this because he, this is all his friends. Right. So and they got to be careful to, to go that line. No, for sure. And of course, we pride ourselves on being an AEW podcast. But since we're talking about top women anywhere in the world at the moment, this is probably a good segue to talk about the Tessa Blanchard thing for a couple of minutes. Yeah, I mean, I literally only found out about this like five minutes before you jumped on here and we started getting ready for the show. So surprise, I, I had a little bit of off time. So I'm thinking, all right, fuck it. I'll just see what's going on in the Squirt Circle Reddit. And all I see is a report about uh, this indie show taking her off their uh, January 24th show. And I'm thinking, okay, okay, so I look a little bit further in, and yeah, it turns out that uh, she made some uh, less than nice comments to, to people. Right, so the, the impetus of this is that yesterday she made a, a tweet about supporting women and uh, pulling each other up. And of course, this comes one day before tonight, where she faces Sammy Callahan, where, as we've predicted on this program before, she will probably become the first female heavyweight champion of a major promotion in North America uh, of this scale anywhere. And this is supposed to be a moment of triumph. But yesterday, when she tweeted this, uh, such people as Chelsea Green and, and numerous other uh, prominent female wrestlers on Yeah, Twitter. some of the names I've read were Shanna from AEW, uh, Isla Dawn yeah. from NXT UK. Uh, what was the other one? I think it was Allison Kay as well also uh, yeah. put her put her name in there. That's right, the NWA Women's World Heavyweight Champion. And then, as we said, Chelsea Green, who had formerly been of TNA at the same time as Tessa and is n- uh, now in WWE, all revealed some uh, very interesting things about her character, apparently calling someone the uh, N-word and spitting on them at a show in Japan and just being a locker room bully for years. So uh, talk about talk about bad timing, but uh, a lot of the discourse revolves around she, you know, she put this out there by tweeting that, and it seems to have... Um, revealed a lot about her that we didn't know previously. Well, not to mention, though, I mean, and I, and I don't want to turn it away from the story, but anytime that I see something like this happen moments before something big for that person's career is about to happen, I can't help but think it's like, oh, you just waited for your time to strike. Now, obviously, sure. if what no, everything would... they're saying is true, obviously, you know, it's a terrible thing, and she shouldn't be, she should have never been saying this and getting a waiver for as long as she has. But also the timing, again, it's one of those things that I'm so disgusted by when it comes to, like, the celebrity world of things where they hold shit back intentionally just to wait for a moment to really screw the person over. So I don't disagree with you. In uh, 90% of the time, I would be on board with that opinion. But I think the interesting thing is the catalyst was her tweet. Because if all of this had happened yesterday, absent of that, that would be different. I would agree that it would seem like a moment, you know, that, that a spot was picked. But at the same time, if you've been this kind of person and you've done this to people, you can't really, you can't really pick when it comes back on you. Uh, well, I would also this, wonder, though, I don't know if she's ever tweeted anything remotely like this. I'm not familiar with her with her tweeting because I'm not a social media crazy guy that spends his entire day reading everybody's tweets. So I don't know if she said anything like this before where maybe it could have been another moment and just nobody caught it. Yeah, that will save you a lot mental health wise in the long run, my friend, I assure oh, you. Oh, believe me, it has. Because <laughs> that's the thing, right? Like. When I'm saying that they're picking this moment, it just seems so coincidental that it's the day before. I mean, especially because we'll know in only a few hours if she actually is. Because we're recording this at 6 p.m. Eastern time here. So we're going to know by the, in, in what, four or five hours whether or not she's won sure. the title. Or definitely by the time this episode posts, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we're we're going to see like whether or not this was the biggest moment of her, of her life. And the day before, this is when all this shit happens. Again, if she causes herself, it is what it is, right? But again, the, when it's a day before, it's almost one of those things where it's you see this happen so many times where people do hold stuff intentionally and wait for a moment. But either way, if this if this shit's real, like man, this is 
not only is it poor timing, but geez, if, if that ever changes my opinion on the girl, that's that's definitely one way to do it. Well, I think it will definitely it will definitely pour a lot of water on the uh, the rumors of anybody else trying to sign her, be WWE or AEW. And I mean, the thing is, is that Tessa Blanchard's only twenty four or twenty five years old. Obviously, in a business that's as much of a pressure cooker of wrestling, uh, you know, it's it's a stressful place to be, and it can form certain behaviors in people. But this sounds like the kind of thing that would need to be accounted for and repented for at some point. But yeah. if we take the neutral position of whatever it is at the moment, it's it's going to cast a shadow over whatever happens tonight and probably over a lot of the things that she does in the near future. And, I mean, that's all depending, too, on how many people know about it. Because, again, these are the kind of things that if you don't catch it right away, sometimes it gets buried. So there's the best thing she can honestly hope for is that in a week from now, something else happens that just takes the edge off. For sure. Otherwise, I mean, if I'm if I'm a betting man, I don't know if this shakes WWE off forever. I mean, AEW right now is is a little bit more virtuous in my opinion. So I would feel like they're the more unlikely party to want to have her aboard right now, even though they're probably the more desperate one to have one. I would say that AEW is more responsive to its fan base, or it certainly seems to be because Cody and the Bucks and Kenny are more savvy about social media, and maybe that's their detriment sometimes. But it feels like a company that is hyper aware of the criticisms of it. Yeah. Whereas the WWE, as we've said, is an established brand that only takes those things to heart under immense, immense pressure. And again, too, if they if they sit there and believe that they can take one more talent away from the talent pool that people can't take from, you know, they're gonna they're gonna take a chance at it regardless. Because I mean they've had it's not like they haven't had a history of people in the company that have made some shitty statements too. So well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we've heard things about Randy Orton. I mean, they brought Hogan back, and that's not hearsay. We've heard those things on tape. So, yes, I mean, we know for a fact that these are things that Vince, you know, weighs with a grain of salt when making business decisions. Which Well, yeah, he, well, most... friggin', they do shows in Saudi Arabia. That's all you need to know, right? So No, exactly. Yeah, so I was going to say, that's probably the most generous way I can put that. But, I mean, regardless, if, if, if it's... Assuming everything's true, and, and now that so many people have come out and said something about it, it's hard to believe that it wouldn't be because not that many people would stick their their heads out of there and kind of say something unless you know there was some merit to it. So, regardless of how anybody feels about her as a performer, because again, this goes to two different things. Like her as a performer is a lot different than her as a person, and if her as a person is as negative as it sounds like it is, I wouldn't want that in my locker room either. So if companies decide that maybe that's not the best option then that's the kind of thing she's got to deal with now and whether it takes a year or so to repent maybe longer maybe less it's it's now something that she's got to really reflect on and hopefully that that's something that can only make her a better person in the long term and let that career that she's been building for so long continue to the the you know obviously the climb that it's been making i think that's right i think whatever happens next is on her and it's her decision on how she responds to this and what, uh, as we said, if if true, and I and I I like you believe is true based on the sheer number of people that have come forward about it, uh, repent for said statements and actions. I mean, her initial responses to these claims obviously haven't been uh, in owning them. So this is going to be one of those things where, uh, you know, the ego or you know, whatever else is getting in the way of it for now, and you just have to see how long it takes till finally she kind of cracks, apologizes, and tries to, you know, at least move on and repent for it. But uh, up until then, you know, this is what it is for the time being. And we'll see how it goes as we uh, as we get further into this month. And obviously we'll know by the end of tonight as well whether or not uh, Impact has done anything with this information yet or not. Yeah, whether it's rattled them or not. I mean, they did pull her from a media availability yesterday, so they, they at least felt the, the imminent pressure. But we'll see if it's affected the writing room and whether they want her to uh, carry the belt on a go-forward basis. It'll definitely be curious, that's for damn sure. Yes, so, I mean, by the, by the time you hear this, you'll know. Uh, yeah. But uh, this, yes, our, our digression from our usual topic, just to, uh, hey, you can't say that we don't touch the hot-button issues, baby. Well, you kind of have to. <laughs> you got to go for that cheap heat. Uh, so, let's get to the start of the show then. So, first match we had on the card, we had Paige and Omega up against Private Party. And we didn't get the heel turn. Yeah, kind of, well... Kind of, and I guess kind of not. Again, this is what I do appreciate with AEW, where they at least are smart enough to know that we don't have to necessarily just be face versus heel. We can have... I mean, hell, we even saw with um, Best Friends up against uh, Jurassic Express later in the show, where it's just like, screw it, let's just have the fun stuff. Faces versus faces, that's right. But uh, as we were discussing next week, or last week, as to when they may do uh, 
when they may turn Hangman full time on the elite, they've uh, they've resisted the temptation for at least one more week. Well, it seems like the kind of thing that again they've been very good at slow burning a lot of stuff. I mean, obviously Kenny for a little while was was going into the shadow realm a bit, and he's kind of drifted away from that again as he's gotten some wins back. Um, obviously, they MJF lasted a lot longer than people thought, even though it ended up actually cutting shorter than I think a lot of people thought as well. But realistically speaking, they don't have to pull any triggers. They can let this go as long as they want to because they can keep they can keep burning this fire as long as they want because they can just constantly remind you. Well, that's the thing. It's omnipresent in your mind. And we know that we know now that uh, Paige and Omega are tag teaming again next week for a number one contender shot. So they're going to keep doing. They're going to keep putting them together until they decide to pull the trigger on this thing. But I mean, we all win as fans because we're getting a series of great matches out of this. I mean, they faced the Lucha Brothers, and then you know this match this week was very good. I thought they did a lot of the same spots they've done in other matches. Uh, Mark Quinn did the multiple splashes outside of the ring. Thing. Oh yeah, his like his like four. He's like four in a row yeah. dives where he just does a different one. I think it's Tope, uh, then it's a flying splash over the ropes, then he does the somersault over the ropes, and then he does the corkscrew, I think, is, to end yeah. it. Which is always just, a, a beautiful move. God, the elevation he gets on that is good looking. And the fact that he lands it every time, too, just makes it that much better. Like, you're always impressed. Like, professional wrestling, man. Like, there's just moments where you stop and go, think about how athletic you have to be to do that. <laughs> Well, and so much fun in this match, too. Like, obviously, Cassidy's gimmick for a while was that he's had those girlish screams that he's had, and he was made perfectly for this chop spot with him and uh, with uh, Omega and Paige just constantly hitting him. Those <laughs> were, those were great. Me. I'm sure he was breaking glass three blocks away with those screams. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Um, they did play with the uh, Paige almost buckshot and Kenny again. This time he at least pulls back enough, although Kenny does accidentally throw Quinn into Page at some point during the match as well. So they keep playing the, uh, oh shit, there's some there's some friction here. But in the end, they still manage to get the best of Private Party, which they should. A team that young, they shouldn't be losing to. Your two bigger singles guys on the roster shouldn't be losing to a tag team of, of that ilk, regardless of the experience together. So they had a pretty sweet buckshot V-trigger combination, which I liked as well. But eventually Kenny did get the pin with the one wing angel. Uh, what did you think overall in that match? Like I said, I think it was pretty just a, a nice, fun face-versus-face level match. It's a good way to book, to put some of your top stars at the beginning of the show, and uh, especially because this week it ends with a segment at the end. But uh, no, like I, I, like you, am happy. You know That was the right team to do, it, to do a job to them. It's good to put them over so that they keep the momentum going for this thing until they get to the heel turn, and you get really, really solid action as a result. Now, do we actually get a good view of who Pac was assaulting after that? Because they kept saying it was Nakazawa, but every time I looked at the guy's head, it just made me think, is that QT fucking Marshall? Because <laughs> yeah, it didn't look like Nakazawa to me. So I'm sitting there looking at like, I'm just seeing like, okay, I'm thinking of a guy with like, you know, obviously with the bald head top, it still has like hair on the sides. I'm like, that's fucking QT, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, I thought he was just dark enough. I thought it was Nakazawa. And also because... It was Nakazawa before. That would actually be funny if that just became a weekly segment. Even after Pac and Kenny are done feuding, just Pac keeps beating the shit out of Michael Nakazawa for no reason. It's like, look, I hate I hate baby oil. <laughs> just, just, just eventually, just like, fuck this guy. Pac's a good heel, man. Like, like, that British accent is just thick enough and just angry enough that it always works. Absolutely. Kenny Omega, I want my rubber match. Like, it, just, it just works so well. He's like a... The e- he's like an evil John Snow. <laughs> well, actually, never mind. I'm not going to do any spoilers, even though I don't. I don't actually even watch the show, but I've learned. I've heard so many things from people that I'm like, yeah, no, I pretty much know like 90 percent of the story. I think at this point, yeah. My, uh, if I could give, if I could give a spoiler to anybody that hasn't watched the end of Game of Thrones, stop watching, turn it yeah. off, read the books, and then make up your own ending, and you will be. Inf- you will be astronomically more satisfied than if you actually follow it to a natural conclusion. I, I guess this is a quick, an as- a-, a quick aside here. Um, I've never, like, I watched one episode. It just wasn't my thing. A lot of these shows, like, whether it was Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Breaking Bad, most of them don't appeal to me very much. Um, so I had friends all the time being like, dude, it's so good. And all they would do is talk about it. And then finally, when that last season came, I reveled in all of them being like, this is the fucking biggest piece of shit I've ever seen. I'm like, yes, <laughs> finally, my time yeah. has come. All the chickens come home to roost eventually. That's right. Exactly. Well, I mean, you would, like this could be a whole different, 
podcast series altogether. But yes, no, like when the showrunners ran out of George R. R. Martin's material, it uh, the decline began slowly, and then like a shit from heaven, it fell at such a rate that by the end it was it was hysterical. So uh, speaking of bad endings, should we move on to the next match? Oh God! I mean, okay, so. <laughs> Yeah, there's no there's no easy way to get into this because like I of course, you know, I went on a whim last week. I loved that fatal four way. I was hoping they would book the women's division so much better in twenty twenty. And I mean, hey, we're twelve days in. There's still, you know, three hundred and forty some odd days left in the year. It's going to get better, but like this was awful. I I have no way of sugarcoating this other than the action itself, when it wasn't in pitcher and pitcher, which it felt like half this fucking match was, the when Riho and Chris Statlander were just straight up wrestling, it was good. But uh, anyway, Adam, I'll let you take it from there. Well, here's the thing, right? If this was a regular match, just plain old match, I don't think this is a problem. But this was a championship match that had no focus on the championship match. It was about no. the Nightmare Collective. And it was a fucking sideshow. I, I have said, not on this show, I don't think, but I have said with friends when we were talking about AEW in its beginnings, that I do not want to see at the very start of this production that the Rhodes or the Bucks or Kenny are getting the spotlight right away because then it makes it very obvious that since they've put themselves in the EVP roles, that this is going to be all about them. Now, unfortunately, we only managed to go four months before I think that somebody in that company decided that they need to have a big, bigger spotlight than they deserve at this point, And that's been Brandy. I don't know if that's her. I don't know if that's Cody. I don't know if that's anybody in, in the company specifically, or if that's just what they thought would be a good idea. But right now, Brandy is slowly becoming what Stephanie McMahon used to be when she was as a part of the authority angle, where she is becoming way too much of a focus and screwing over the actual stories that should be being told. Right. No, and I agree with that. And you know, like people have shit on Brandy as a talker, and I actually think she's decent on the mic. And she's she not was bad. Of, yeah, she was funny in this match. I mean, like you know, Excalibur asks her a question, and then she shits on him for wearing the mask for three minutes. You know, that that was kind of funny. But like, it's but it, everything. It, it would have been better on a not con- on a not championship match. Like the commentary stuff would have been fine if this was dark. Right. No. no like no, if she sure. was the, if like, she was doing this for Awesome teased. Kong's match, no prob. But because yeah. this is supposed to be a match where you're taking two of your top talent and putting them in the ring together for this prestigious title you guys talk about, and you turn it into, like what you said, a sideshow. And they've been teasing this match since the last episode of the year. And I was really excited about it, and you were really excited about it. And like this is where we thought the title might change hands. Um, I still thought instead, it might have. Yeah, no, and maybe it would have. But if it did, I'm almost happy it didn't at this point. Because if it did it on interference, or it did it on some hinky shit... I mean, this thing was polluted anyway by the end of it, but that would have polluted it even more. Well, I almost kind of wish it did now because now I'm just believing that Rio's going to lose it to Awesome Kong and I'm going to hate it. Yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, like, I, th- I you know, I think the the AEW account itself was tweeting, like, when will, like, will we see a rematch? And then Chris Statlander retweets, like, I freaking hope so, or we better, or whatever it was. So, like, as I, as I said a couple minutes ago, like, AEW is hyper aware of their uh, their criticisms, whether that means they're going to shit can the Nightmare Collective, I don't think so. I don't think they I, need to shit can it, but man, they need to pick their fucking spots better. But I do think they now know that they need to book an interference-free rematch, and I think we will see that at some point in the not too distant future. It's almost the point where I'm against the idea, but you almost need somebody to act as like the quote-unquote matchmaker to step out and just do like a quick promo, whether it's whether it's just in the control room that they do once in a blue moon on the YouTube channel, just to say, hey, we feel that this match wasn't given the right amount of attention, so therefore we're going to... Like, I don't care who it is. Even if it's just Tony Schiavone just out there being like, I got this note from AEW management and then just reads it off. But there needs to be something out there that needs to come in as like a, a force to be reckoned with to say, hey, uh, we fully disavow what the Nightmare Collective did. This is supposed to be a prestigious match and it was ruined, so we are going to give this to you once more. Whether it's next week, whether it's two weeks, whether it's at Revolution, I don't care, but this match needs to happen again because they need to take the stink off of this one real bad. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, actually, that that touches on something larger we can talk about probably at the end of the show about, like, what does the num- number one contendership really mean? Because people sit at the number one of the rankings forever and, and title shots 
come or they don't, or you end up fighting another number one contendership match again. But anyway, let's. Well, you guys, you guys saw me freaking out because Sheeta was number one for a little while, and then all of a sudden she didn't have it anymore, even though she didn't lose to anybody that should have usurped her. Right, or like you know, proud and powerful have been number one, you know, for a couple weeks, and like now they're in a number one contender. They're in a title, which I assume they'll win next week, and as do I. But I mean, like, and then like Moxley's been number one for a while, and now we know that is going to lead to the match. But like being number one, never like it's never a direct timeline to the title match. It's always just a thing until they book it. But it's never, despite the fact they said it would matter, it's never a guarantee that you're next. Yeah, like they should they should make more of a. A note to be like, all right, whoever is number one contender at this date, this this will be the next challenger. So yeah, that way, and it doesn't you always can... necessarily have to mean automatically you're the next pay per view, but it also doesn't mean you should muddy the waters for. Well, because that's the thing too. Like you'll look at the rankings, being like, oh, good, my favorites on on the, at the top, and then two weeks later, you never see the title shot, even though you're clamoring for it. Yeah, well, like Pac was number one for like three or four weeks, and he never got a title shot. Right? I mean, he's a heel, so you wouldn't put him against Jericho, and I get that. But then, why would you have him number one anyway? if you were never going to give him a title shot. Well, that's the problem, too. If you're going to book standings and you're going to do records being important and all this stuff, like you got to be careful on how you're booking things, too, because if a guy sits there high up too long or if it looks pretty obvious that you're messing with the uh, the rankings just to kind of promote the uh, the match you want to sit on, you know, that and that was the only downside I knew going in if they were going to do win-loss records and rankings is that they were going to be very careful on how they did it. And so far, it's been a hit-and-miss sort of deal. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, like, as we said, let's, so we'll talk about this for like two minutes because I want to move beyond this because I'm, <laughs> it's stressful enough. Talk about it. So they, they debuted Dr. Luther. And this is interesting because I now listen to uh, Kick an Ass with Jesse and Andy. And Jesse and Andy are Jesse Jumet and Andy Williams, who are the Butcher and the Blade. And their most recent podcast was talking about their, their debut at AEW and being backstage. And they're talking about meeting Dr. Luther, who was apparently a deathmatch legend. And so I was listening to that last weekend when I was flying home, and I was like, interesting. Like, I wonder if he's a backstage advisor. I'm wondering if he's a guy that they, you know, maybe he will debut at some point. Sure enough, he debuts. They pull him out under the ring. He looks like a fucking weirdo. He's got no heat. Uh, Excalibur automatically knows who he is again right away. Like, yeah, it's another Butcher the Blade level thing where everybody know, doesn't have a fucking clue except for him. Yeah, no. And I mean, like, and at least, like, to their great credit, the Butcher and the Blade look menacing they look like wrestlers they look like oh okay i don't know who the fuck this is but they're debuting they're clearly going to be a thing going forward and we know they are whereas luther looks like somebody who's on the fucking sex registry yeah no exactly he's 51 years old he's a weirdo he has no impact on this situation it just adds to an overall confusing thing i mean rio dived on him that was about it yeah, no, and I mean, like, maybe he'll be, maybe this turns around, and he's fucking awesome, and, like, the rest of this is good going forward, but, I mean... He better be a good promo, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, well, he better, yeah, like, unless he gives a Cody-esque or a Rock-esque promo next week, like, that was rather auspicious. Anyway, Riho wins this thing, and she looks upset about it, because she knows she gets the interference. So that's a good way to keep her in the good graces. It, you know, it protects Statlander, because she gets fucked over, and... As you and I said, like they now have to do this again ASAP and as cleanly as possible. Well, because that, that was the biggest mess is that they didn't even target just Statlander because you thought, okay, they're probably just going to take out Statlander because, you know, she flipped them off basically. But Rio takes the first hit and I'm sitting there being like, okay, what what was that for? Yeah. So again, it makes no, no like sense. Just it's a, just, it's. Again, if this was a regular match, but because it's a championship match, there has to be value to it. And the fact that also no disqualification was ever dealt out, I'm like, the, the ref again, the whole, the ref can't be blind to everything, especially when there's this much going on. Yeah, no, like, well, that's always the funny thing. Like, why is the ref's instinct, there's a lot going on. I should immediately pay attention to who's actually in the match, because if anything's going to go sideways, it's going to happen to them. Or even beyond that, like, there's no reason, like, I guess in kayfabe form, they're not supposed to just automatically eject people, but they should also just be in like, okay, every time that the Nightmare Collective has ever come out to the ring, they attack somebody. Maybe I should get ahead of that game and just not let them come to the ring. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should read the tea leaves on this. <laughs> but you know what it is. It's it's not part of the script, so y- you can't use that logic. So, I mean, again, for the little bits of the match, it was fine. And I did like the little bit where after the match was over and... Uh, everybody was getting attacked. Sheeta came for, to the save, and Baker didn't, which also sows some seeds. That was good. 
that made sense. But everything else, uh, no, not so much. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like, Sheeta looks good, keeps her, and now they're going to have the tag match next week. And I'm interested to see what uh, Mel, the, the one who got her head shaved. Yeah, they need, they, they need to do more with that name, too. That's that's like WWE-level stupid shit with a name. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, I, I, as they develop her, I'm sure that'll get more. But I'm interested to see how she does in the ring. But yeah, like you said, Sheeta looks good, comes in, still a good guy. Britt Baker, eh, we're getting, we're still getting teased for the heel turn, so I like that. So at least there was a bit of character development at the end. I will admit it was a little bit weird the- too when uh, Swole showed up, but also Sunny kissed it for some reason. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, I mean it's, hey, I like it. It's, it was good to see Swole on television again. I mean, I know, I know, Sunny Kiss has the has the ass of a woman, but you know, it's not really the, the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Speaking of asses, anyway, uh, Sammy Guevara. True. Although, actually, right before that, there was a Kip Sabian promo, which I did like. It built that out a bit more. It uh, it teased him and Penelope Ford a bit more, and the and the uh, the ongoing feud with Janela. Yeah, that was all right. I mean, he's he's another one of those people too, where it's like, I don't necessarily hate or dislike him or don't want to see him. It's more like I've already got so many people that I'm attached to. I think I maybe just have run out of people at this point. So he's just kind of like the one guy where it's like, well, you're not blowing me away, so just, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, no, and for sure. Well, and like I, I was going to touch on this when we were talking about the match on Dark. I like Kip Sabian as a wrestler. He's very talented, and he had a very good match with uh, Kenny Omega on Dark before the end of the before the end of the year that we didn't. Get oh, to he's talk still at one of my favorite long. moments, and that that's something that I wish I'd thought about when we were talking about um, Spot of the Year when we were doing our award show. Man, I sh- I forgot to mention him like fucking kissing a fan who was who was yelling at him at Fighter Fest. <laughs> forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> that's still one of my favorite things that's happened on on these shows. Yeah. So, no, I like this. Like, they're giving him more of a personality. They've got her with him, and she's fantastic, both athletic-wise and, like, adding heat to the thing-wise. And it's weird, right, because it's reality, because I think they are actually together based on their Twitter interactions. Mm-hmm. And she did used to be with Janela. So it, it, it's an interesting feud, and it's an interesting way to keep uh, a feud between two mid-card wrestlers that don't have a belt at stake. or don't have any, Like, you know, it, it adds stakes that the audience can actually care about a little bit. Exactly. Uh, so yes, as you said, our bo- our dear boy Sammy Guevara against Christopher Daniels, the fallen angel, and he friggin' got a half wedge. He already had like a minute into the match. I'm like, gee, Sammy, you need to get some bigger trunks, man. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, I think it was his, well, I, think I think playing, it was the right side pl- of his trunks where like immediately after like a not even a minute, he, it's already like really wedged up there. I'm like, geez, man, you might as well just wear a fucking thong at this point. Well, like I was saying to you in the Discord chat, my nickname for him going forward is Sammy Sweet Cheeks. I'm I'm in for that. I mean, why not? I mean, I'm sure Jericho will pop in another nickname at some point. He's just trying to he's trying to thirst trap Selma Hayek or uh, Victoria Justice's sister or any of the other girls he's talking about. On, uh, on his, <laughs> I love uh, that part. Placards. Oh so yeah, no, that's a great little that's a great little bit of character development. Where it's just like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll fucking whore up to anybody that I think's like attractive, and it's like, yeah, he kind of can. He's he's kind of got those looks that he could. Yeah. So I like this match. It's good. I, I figured Sammy would go over. I was happy he did. And they did a good job of furthering the narrative of, you know, the fallen angel falling further, doubting his abilities. Penta comes out and taunts him that he can't hit the moonsault like he used to. And then it leads to, you know, the distraction and the win for Sammy. I am upset with this match, though, because by the end of it, uh, the Dark Order dispelled my theory about him being the exalted one because they freaking just had him try to have him join normally. I'm like, fuck. Well, there goes that theory. Maybe. Maybe. I still think it could be a fake edge. It could. And maybe be. that's just be. It could be, but at the maybe same that's just because I like I like your theory so much that that's what I wanted. To I know be. you're kind of you're kind of holding out to be for it so badly, but yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's it's it'll be interesting. To <laughs> Literally, see. we talk about it, and a week later, they fucking just be like, "All right, you need to join us." It's like, well, I guess he's not the exalted one. Then if they're fucking gonna have him join because he's already talking to somebody, but then again, wrestling logic isn't always the uh, the strongest, so you never know. They can always find a workaround. Right. Well, I mean, like the three people that we talked about were Hardy, Skrull, and then Daniels. Well, it looks like within a week like we've Daniels lost two so of them because Daniels might be out of it, and Marty might not even be in AEW now. From from what a lot of people are saying, he might be getting a nice fat, fat contract to work with Ring of Honor longer. Yeah, that's right. They might actually pony up some money for him. But I like, but I like the Daniels thing, just because like it's you're not going outside. It's a made in AEW solution. 
and you're finally using your own talent for these kinds of things rather than having to bring somebody new in or anything like that. But either way, obviously, like you said, Sammy wins the match. Pentagon distracts him, and he gets the roll-up on him. Uh, Dark Order, like I said, they come in. He refuses, so they beat him down until SCU and the Bucks arrive to get revenge for their beatdown at the end of the year. And then Daniels does manage to hit not the same moonsault that he tried to hit, but he hit a moonsault, so I guess everything's good now. Yeah, there was a bit of redemption there, for sure. Yeah. Uh, next up, we had the Rhodes Brothers up against the Lucha Brothers, so I, I guess I have to turn this over to you, as we do every week when uh, Phoenix is in a match. You know, there was a bit, it was a bit more subdued to it. Uh, he did a great... The, my favorite spot was, of course, Cody throws him to the ropes, he does the little 619 move, hits the super kick, runs, and then, then does the, the hitting cutter, and uh, a couple other top rope pops, but uh, not a lot new this week, but... Uh, Certainly, some of the best looking stuff, like still the best looking stuff you see on a show. So, what you're saying is he needs more ladders. He needs to get some more creativity going again. <laughs> well, apparently, they did an old Arn Anderson spot this week where they get the chair and then someone takes the chair away. And it was Arn Anderson, so that was kind of cool. Um, but as has been pointed out elsewhere, they didn't really react to Arn doing it. They kind of got like looked at him angrily for a moment when he took the chair away and then they got distracted and it went back to in ring action. Did you uh, catch, though, at one point where. Um I can't remember whether it was Cody or, or sorry, I can't remember who it was who hit it specifically, but somebody hit a bicycle kick and Excalibur gave a little Dusty Rhodes flare on bicycle. Oh yeah, I did hear. Yeah, I did hear him do the accent. Yeah. So all I could think of was, he's got a bicycle. Get the bicycle kick, baby. I, I'm I'm back to thinking Botchmania all over again. And actually, Excalibur had a good shout out because apparently, 30 years ago to the night, uh, Dustin was wrestling at the Memphis Coliseum, uh, obviously just up from where they were in New Haven, Mississippi. Uh, mm-hmm. and the, you know, 30 years later, here he is. And as, as we have said many times on this program, 50-year-old Dustin Rhodes, great wrestler, man. So With, smooth, with another Canadian so destroyer this week? Yeah, that's right. And, I, you know, I think that's just going to be a thing he keeps doing until his, literally until his spine gives out. So. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, otherwise, match was all in all just another fun match, kind of like what the, uh, the Omega Page um, private party match was. Same deal. Just uh, obviously a little less over-the-top crazy shit because Phoenix can only do so much himself. Yeah, no, you're using your top guys in, in, in tag matches that don't have high stakes, but, you know, you're showcasing them on national television, uh, especially in the in the middle hour as a bridge so, so that people keep watching. Yeah, I will say, though, um, there, was the, there was one complaint that I did have where there was a point where in the match, uh, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I missed it, but they do these things so fast now that I, I think they are actually forgetting who's the legal man because there was one point where there was a hot tag and Pentagon was the legal man. And then all of a sudden, he just wasn't anymore. And I don't right. know if, that's hap- if that happens that more often than it does, but... That had been a critique of the Lucha Brothers for a while. And I've gone back and watched it, like, where they weren't tagging at the beginning. And apparently, Jericho called them out backstage for it at some point. So if it did happen this in this match, I didn't see it. But I will say, I have found them better at that. Because I have watched them actually do tags. And I've seen Aubrey Edwards call them, you know, like, I think that was a weakness for them at the beginning because they're used to working such a fast and loose style. but uh, So if it happened once in this match, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it did, because old habits die hard. But I will say I have noticed that they have gotten better at conscientiously making the tag. But otherwise, it was a fine match. Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, like, and I apologize. I'll, I'll restate this. And if you heard it already, then so nice you'll hear it twice. But I apologize when my mic was cutting out. This is a good way to put some of your top guys in the middle of the hour, keep people's attention for the second half of the show. And, you know, there's low stakes here but you get great wrestling out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, um, Tony came out after that and just, you know, asked Cody, oh, do you accept MJF's terms? He didn't really have a chance to answer because Arn just kind of jumped in and said, well, MJF's really not in any position to make those kind of demands, so uh, we're still talking about it. So another dodge like they did with uh, Moxley the week before. Yeah, it's a good way to assert Arn in this new managerial role. I like that. Oh, yeah, I didn't complain again. It's just one of those things, too, where it's like, okay, I kind of would have rather just Cody to be like not answer for a little bit rather than having Arn step in and kind of be like, no, we're going to we're going to keep going. It's like, no, or you could just say nothing like you couldn't you could have just not had the the interview. Right, because there was no expectation that he was going to answer right away. So no, because you figure he could just come out during MJF's promo and because because it happened right after that. He could have just come out then. Well, that's the weird thing. I mean, like what like what is Cody doing? During these segments, is he on sabbatical? Like, is he, you know, I mean, I guess they would kayfabe tell you that he's in the shower or something. But yeah, it is funny how he, like, you know, 
They keep, you know, for two guys that want to beat the shit out of each other so badly. Well, I guess that's your reason, right? Is that he hasn't accepted the conditions yet, but enough. To yeah, he could, he could just try to attack MGF, just being like, motherfucker, I didn't agree to the stipulations yet, so yeah. I don't have to do it. Or beat the shit out of him and then be like, okay, I accept. Now I won't touch you until the pay-per-view. <laughs> that would be kind of, that. that's a Moxley thing to do, though. I don't think Cody could get away with that. Yeah, fair enough. So anyway, MJF. What did you think of the MJF promo though? Because I actually had a lot of uh, trouble with this one. Always. Yeah, he had the best looking suit I've seen him wear yet. Straight black with a yellow tie looked good. Yeah, I I was a little bit iffy on this one, and not even because of MJF. I think DDP actually kind of uh, kind of droned on a little bit because he came out and interrupted for Cody when MJF was out demanding that he had Cody come out to respond to him. Yeah, no, I think that's a de- that's a that's a fair point. Although you know what, like. DDP, this is the beauty of having a legend on staff, is like he's so over with the crowd and they're listing off the acronyms with him and whatnot. And then you do get the funny spot where he is droning on and MJF has enough time to tweet, like, will this old bastard ever shut up? Well, that was the thing too. Like, I'm sitting there and I love DDP. Like, he's he's still one of my favorite guys from the Nitro days. But at the same time, I still recognize it. It's like, all right, man, I know what you're here for. Let's get on with it. Let's let's. We don't need to tell me... This isn't the Hall of Fame ceremony where you can tell me a bunch of stories here. Like, let's 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 move it. Right, but you know, like to your point, and we said this uh, on the diamond on the diamond ring episode that DDP looks good, man. Like he looks like he could still go. And now we know at the end of the segment, like next week, we are going to get a match featuring sixty-three-year-old Diamond Dallas Page, uh, like fifty-some-year-old Dustin, and then QT Marshall. <laughs> yeah, uh, so this is good. I like this a lot. This is just MJF's genius at work again. He's taunting, he's taunting Diamond Dallas Page. He brings out my boys, the Butcher and the Blade, who I'm glad are back on television again after a week hiatus. Um, and then he threatened, and so I, I didn't make the connection before, but Lexi Nair, who is now doing things on Dark, is Diamond uh, DDP's stepdaughter. Yep. So MJF teases that. <laughs> Well, he, he definitely knows how to get people to be like, oh, you fucking prick. So that's the best part. He goes, we're going to do one thing and one thing only. And then he turns to do the diamond cutter and go, bang! And then DDP grabs him by the throat. And I thought that was just brilliant. And then uh, DDP gets the show off. He hits a diamond cutter on both the butcher and the blade. And, uh, and then they, they, they double up on him and get the advantage on him. But I thought this was a good segment. And I am... Of all the matches on next week's show, and there are a bunch of good ones, I'm the most excited to see this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously Mox and Guevara will be pretty fun too. That'll also be on that show. That'll be pretty good to watch as Moxley just completely kicks the shit out of him. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that match is going to be super long. As much as I like that Sammy's off to a hot streak. Um, well, you know, I, I, think it'll, I think it'll be a 10, 11-minute match, but we'll see. Uh, last match on the card before we get to the aforementioned Moxley, uh, we had Jurassic Express, like I said earlier, going up against the Best Friends, which if you wanted to talk about having a match that is just pure fun, like, man, I wish this was actually, like, the main event of Dark or something, because this would have been a great thing to show for people for free. Yeah, no, this is, well, there's, like, I wouldn't say there's low stakes, because it's on TV and it's a good match, but, you know, two of the two of the most over babyface factions featuring some of the more interesting characters in the company. This was, like, pure joy to watch. It was just wrestling at its purest and, and, and funnest. Yeah, unfortunately, there, there were a few things I have to complain about. I mean, again, another Falcon Arrow got interrupted. I'm, I'm very upset. I'm sure Excalibur is just wanting to hang himself for all these Falcon Arrows that keep getting kicked out upon now. <laughs> uh, obviously, Luchasaurus and Orange Cassidy didn't exactly go as every time orange cassie goes for that final kick it just keeps getting interrupted now it's like come on man when's he gonna get that last one in kick us interrupt us i mean i, I figured okay maybe maybe next time like i would have rather if he was gonna interrupt it luchasaur just does that like massive kick and just knocks him the fuck out like that would have been better yeah although then we also got to see him hit the splash the most enthusiastic splash you've ever seen onto jungle boy no oh, i love that because you because know, all because everybody's like oh man that's i think one time somebody's like man that was like a 1080 right <laughs> yeah people got well like jungle boy was joking on it later in the week where it was like i think that broke my ribs and didn't luchasaurus respond to him and be like well at least you didn't get kicked yeah exactly 
it was just fun. And there was some good athleticism. There was, you know, the Hurricane Rhinos, Tilt the World DDTs, splashes. You know, there was there was, there was was good offense in it, too. I mean, obviously, they were having some fun with it, but it, uh, it was still a pretty athletic contest. There was a great spot where uh, Lucha had Marco Stun up on the uh, the apron, threw him over the turnbuckle to the outside where Trent and Orange Cassidy were sitting. That looked fun as shit. And that's the beauty, too. A lot of people get down on Marco, but Marco being his size actually lends a lot of intrigue to spots like that. Because now with Luchasaurus, who obviously is a big, strong guy as well, you open a lot of options for these crazy like throwing spots and, and other things that they can do with them. Oh, yeah, they literally use him as a projectile. It's amazing. Not not to mention that heels can really go... Like, if they finally have, like, a big guy... I mean, obviously, Wardlow is something like that, but if they had another one kind of, like, of the stature of, like, a Luchasaurus that they had as a bad guy, man, you could do some stuff with him and Marco. Just having this guy just destroy him. And we may see it. Because I think, you know, I think that Marco... You hear the chance for him in the crowd, and you see his athleticism, like, you know, despite what certain corners of the internet would like to see, I don't think he's going anywhere. And I think that you're going to see him continue to do amazing things and, and, and probably get some higher caliber matches at some point. And I'm calling this right now and I couldn't tell you what time this will happen, but when the Lucha or sorry, when the Jurassic Express actually win the tag titles, cause I believe it'll happen at some point. It won't be Luchasaurus getting the pin. It won't be jungle boy getting the pin. It'll be Marco getting his first pin ever. There you go. You heard it here, folks. So you're going to see a thousand times where the only way they're winning a match is if it's Luchasaurus getting the pinfall, but just look for it. One of these days, Marco's going to come up big when it, when it matters most, whether it's up against, maybe it's even up against the Pride and Powerful who are the champions. You never know. I think that, that makes the most sense to me as a thorough line, is that the, the belts have to go to heels next and then go to baby and then revert to baby faces a couple months from now, three or four months from now, six months from now. We'll see. So speaking of a title potentially changing, so we get to the end of the night. Moxley making his decision on the inner circle. Uh, was there Weeks any in the po- making. Was there any point during this promo that you actually thought he was saying yes and for sure? No. And I, I don't mean to take the fun out of it right away, but no, not really. Because, well, yeah, because right at the beginning he's like, well, you know what? All I wanted to do here was come here and just wreak havoc and wreck shit and just beat the hell out of everybody. And if I'm going to do that and dominate... You know, my answer to the inner circle is yes. And I'm, and all the fans, like, I don't think there was anybody in that crowd that thought he was doing it either, but they knew that their role was to play along with it. Yeah, no, and I mean, like, that's the thing. It played like, it played like that uh, the whole way through. They bought into it, and they booed him, and then he did the, I like, and you know what? This is a quick aside, but I wish I had waited to buy my inner circle shirt, because I have the first one, and I like these new ones a lot better with the spray paint. They look way more badass. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were there were a chance of you sold out, so I was sitting there being like, because mm, I'm listening to how loud it is. I'm thinking, I don't know. This this many people can't actually think they're doing this, do they? No, or at least, like, I will say this. If I thought he was doing it, I thought it would be, like, for a week or two, and then he would do the turn. I always thought this led to Well, like John type- Cena in the Nexus? Or, yeah, something like that, but, like, hopefully a bit better booked. But, yeah, like, a, a, a brief alliance that was obviously never going to be full-term, and then it still leads to the title match at the next pay-per-view. But otherwise, um, a lot of, you know, ploying with it. They they do drink a little bit of the bubbly. They actually mentioned the Tokyo Dome, so they did mention that they both wanted the Tokyo Dome. They didn't mention New Japan or Wrestle Kingdom specifically, but they did mention the Tokyo Dome, so there's at least a bit of a nod there. No, exactly. They, they, they allude to the fact that wrestling does exist somewhere else in the universe. Yeah, imagine WWE ever doing Actually, that's a lie. They did it one time where they said that when AJ Styles came out for the Rumble and they said, he, you know, a guy who used to hold the IWGP championship, same as Brock Lesnar. I think that's the only time I can remember the WWE in like the last decade mentioning another company. Right, if you can tie it back to another one of your guys, sure. I also love Moxley's delivery of a little bit of the bubbly. Oh, yeah, because, you know, he's he been working on that one. <laughs> you you got to play the role. Can, if you're going to be in the inner circle, you got you got to really play the role. If you're going to if you're going to be like a a spy for about 5 minutes within the group, you you got to play the part. Yeah. So no, and I love how they they genuinely Jericho's genuinely happy. You can tell that he's genuinely relieved. You idiots didn't believe me. Well, yeah, like Sammy was like he pretty much trying to jump on top of Hager to hug him cuz he was so yeah. happy. He's like, "Yay, I'm not going to die tonight." Yeah, they all believe, they're all relieved. Yeah, exactly. And then as soon as the music stops, as he as he asks for the music to cut, and I'm thinking, well, here it is. <laughs> here we go. It's such a, I never do the other It's a stupid group. You have nothing that I want. 
and then just lays them out with a bottle and then hits the paradigm shift. I love that Jericho took the time to also, I don't know if it was on purpose or if it was because of the ring being a little bit slick, but he did act like he needed a couple of steps to catch his balance. Yeah, and then Sammy no, just getting job. absolutely fucking laid out too. Jericho, the king of memes. There's all these jokes about him being cradled in Hager's arms, like passed out again. And then it looks like he was going to hit Hager with a, with a bottle too, but it seemed like the uh, the sugar glass completely just collapsed on it. So he's like, well, shit, I guess I'm leaving now. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit. I mean, they kind of botched that at the end. Like, why the hell would you ever put actual liquid in sugar glass? Two of those bottles had to be like actual champagne, and then two of them had to be the ones that you smash with like a little bit in it so there is water when you break them but anyway i mean whatever they call it like he called it great audible on the play and it still looks believable that like you wouldn't hit jake hager you'd be like well the biggest guy in the ring whatever i already did what i gotta do i gotta get out of here so they, well, he's like they well shit it. there goes my weapon i guess i'm getting the fuck out of here no no it looked smooth it looked fine it looked good and then he jumps out into the crowd and we get a, a hot ending to the show and now we know where this is going we're gonna see jericho against moxley at revolution and uh, my question to you is do you think we're going to see the title change hands? And that's where it gets tough. Because I want to assume the answer is yes, but at the same time, you still sit there and wonder, would it be too soon? And that's where I'm at with it. Because it again, it's on, it's not know, like it wouldn't I, be a good... like. This I, would probably be the ideal guy to take it to next, because Cody can't fight for it. I don't know if you're going to have the story of Omega coming back just yet. I think it's too soon to have Omega redeem himself. And realistically, face-wise, who else do you have? Because Paige is in this weird realm of you don't know. Yeah, so I feel like it's almost got to be Moxley, and I think everyone would be happy with that. And, I mean, obviously, I mean I'm the only other thing they could do is he just loses one time, and then they have to do it all over again at, like, double or nothing. Yeah, like, there's a hinky finish, and then there's an immediate rematch, for sure. But I feel like, in terms of where the belt is going next, all roads lead to Moxley. Because, I mean, at that point, that's when you can pull out anybody. Like, you can throw Pack in there. You can throw maybe a, a heel-turning page. You can throw Jericho back in there for a rematch, too. So there's a lot of other options, too. It's just they've exhausted most of the the big-name faces. The only one, like I said, being Omega, but I think you need to save him because he's got a long story they got to they gotta be playing out to me. Right. There's still, yeah, there's... he Both he and Cody are both going to end up there eventually, but you've got to take the long way around to get there. Well, Cody's going to have a long way to get there as well because he's got to figure out how they're going to get out of the uh, I can't challenge for the title anymore stipulation that he already put himself in. Right. And I have I have every faith that they will do that um, at some point. But, yeah, I mean, that that's a year away, a year and a half away, two years away before that comes around. I would imagine it's more they're going to keep waiting until people forget. Well, you could do it that way too. Sheer attrition, baby. That always works. I mean, it's what worked for WWE. Vince was supposed to be gone forever when Stone Cold beat Undertaker way back when. It took about a year and he came back anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I mean, like, no, that's the thing. I mean, whether it's insulting to the intelligence of people or not, if people really want to... I mean, CM Punk was supposed to be gone after he won the title, came back, like, not even a month later. Cena was supposed to be completely fired from WWE. He was already back the next night. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is the beauty of wrestling, right? What, there's nothing... Nothing is absolute. Nothing's ever iron ironclad. But otherwise, I mean, the show was fine. It it ended fantastically. It's it's one of my favorite f- fun stuff that they did, which, you know, definitely uh, took some of the shit off of the... Obviously, the women's match being the big one. I mean, realistically, is this going to be a show you remember? No, but it's not necessarily a show you're going to remember for a bad reason either. No, I mean, I think you'll remember the Moxley thing because that's what sets up a title match. But otherwise, the match is probably not, no. I mean, it's, it's again, it's not every show needs to be a 10 out of 10. Hell, even pay-per-view-wise, not everything has to be a 10 out of 10 show. Not everything can be what Wrestle Kingdom was. Not everything can be a WrestleMania. No, exactly. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, a TV show, as long as you're leaving happy and, and interested in seeing the next one, you're good. Now, this one, I think, has definitely uh, got a little more negative attention to it because of that one match, but I think they were able to at least salvage what they could with obviously fun matches like the Rose Brothers up against the Lucha Bros, um, MGF obviously having his little bit, and then, of course, uh, Best Friends and uh, Jurassic Express going at it. So there was definitely a lot to love, and you just hope that, you know, obviously based on the ratings, it didn't seem like it affected too much because apparently after the... uh, Nightmare Collective was done. People actually, there were more people watching after it. So, there you go. 
Well, and yeah, and I mean, like we could, you know, the AEW NXT thing aside, I mean, it won big this week. Uh, but to your point, like it, NXT didn't even hit the top. It 50. doesn't always have to be a world building episode. It doesn't always have to be totally memorable. So, like watching, you know, one of the impetuses of this podcast, and I, you know, I've said this many times, is you know, a bunch of us got back into wrestling after a long time because of AEW and how much we love it, and just good episodic wrestling week to week is its own reward. And like you know, watching the 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 Rhodes brothers and the Lucha brothers this week, you know, like a lot of fun, you know, even if you don't remember it a year from now, watching it that night. And I, and I appreciate, I want to give a shout out to Adam this week for being the, uh, the, the hotter partner in the tag team, because I, I, my DVR didn't record dynamite this week. So I had to watch it on the two hour replay late Wednesday night. I I scribbled Mm -hmm. down my notes as best I could, but uh, I, I thank you, my friend as always for uh, being the captain to the ship. Well, it's the one thing I'm good at is at least having information in front of me. <laughs> Whether it's useful or not, that's, that's a different story, but... Yeah, well, now, we, mean, all now all, we lead um, into an interesting couple of weeks, because next week they're doing the Bash at the Beach in Miami, and then you, they are doing yep. the Chris Jericho Rock and Roll and Wrestling Cruise. So the rest of January... I'm really stoked to see what they do for that. Yeah, them. it'll be interesting to see what it looks like aesthetic-wise. There's a question of whether the Bash at the Beach will have its a, a distinct-looking stage... Or things like that, but there's actually a lot of good matches lined up for it, so I'm really excited. I mean, it might. I would think it ha- it's just going to be more of like the lighting and the and the actual vibe of the yeah. place. I mean, who knows? There might be some props on the set or something, but I wouldn't expect like a drastic but change. The, like the neon Miami Vice lighting, yeah, the, like the, the the pink and blue would be really cool. Mm-hmm. So as you said, we've got Sammy versus Moxley, and then we've got QT Marshall, Dustin Rhodes, and DDP making his return to the ring and. God knows how long. Maybe he's done indie shows that I don't know about, but this is certainly the first time I will have seen him in a match since 2002 against my boys, The Butcher and the Blade and MJF. But yeah, it's going to be a good show. And I mean, back to what you said earlier, like if there was an absolute bad show, we wouldn't be hiding this. And that's the other thing too. Like I haven't seen a single show that I could sit here and tell you, man, how did they think this was going to work on TV as a whole? Like that was two hours. I'm never going to get back. If that ever happens, oh believe me, and I can't speak to the to the two of you. Well, obviously Joe not being here, but to you as well. But if it happens, good lord, I am going to be coming with fire and fucking a shit ton of uh, notes that I've been taking to and a lot of bullets in that chamber. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast. For good or for ill, we're going to talk about the show and what we liked and what we didn't like. And like we said at the end of the year. Obviously, we're liking it enough that we're still excited to see what happens for the next 12 months, whether it manages to be that 12 months, because you never know what will happen. But so far, we've been shown that, hey, it may not be amazing every single segment, but there's definitely more than enough there to keep us wanting to come back. Time over time, man. I'm still loving it every week. It's just nice to be excited about wrestling again. Realistically, if I'm just happy by the time the show's over, I'm good because every time I used to watch pay-per-views, especially WWE, because it got to a point I stopped watching TV because I couldn't be bothered. It's three hours just drones on with the way that those shows yeah, run. Yeah, for sure. But I remember one WrestleMania, I think it was, wasn't last year, I think it was the year before where Braun Strowman was supposed to have a mystery partner for a tag title match. I think it was against the bar. And he brought in that friggin' like nine-year-old kid Oh, yeah, that was, like, on WrestleMania, and wasn't it? I watched the first half of WrestleMania and loved it. And I was half-tempted to leave because I saw the rest of the card being like, man, this looks like it isn't going to be that much fun. But screw it. I want to see who this tag partner is because it might be something really cool. And then it's the second match. Yeah, it might be a second big last match on the card. Yeah, and they do just this friggin' kid. And I'm thinking, this <laughs> is what I just lost an hour and change to. Like, the worst that can happen right now with AEW is that I can probably lose two full hours, but realistically, it's more like I can lose 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes. Because so far, they've shown that if one segment isn't that good, everything else is going to redeem it. Yeah, that's right. And when it comes to the pay-per-views, same story. There's maybe been... I'm even trying to think, is there actually a match in the pay-per-view I didn't really like? I'm not really sure there's one that I could outright tell you that I just didn't care for. It was more just like, well, I guess I'll just wait for the next one. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I maybe the Spears Janela match at full gear just because they didn't give it a lot of time, but other than that, everything else was solid and flowed nicely. So, with that being said, I think we're gonna cap off this lovely, lovely 
two-man podcast that we did this week. You know, who knew a two-man booth could work? There you go. Yeah, we lost the uh, the Tony Schiavone to our JR and Excalibur. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, the internet felt like a two-man booth wasn't going to be the easiest thing to do. That's the only problem when you do things online is that lag always becomes an issue. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm i sure we'll edit it all out, but I apologize. I appreciate the patience of people on the some of the technical issues during this pod. Well, they might not know all the technical That's issues because I'll be taking most of those out. <laughs> But But regardless, uh, thank you so much, everybody, for catching us on this episode, and we will see you on the next show. You as well, Liam. Thanks for joining me again, and uh, I'll see you on the next one. Talk to you next week. 